And welcome to the first box box episode of 2022. Feels it feels like it's it's been a while, but it hasn't at the same time. Um. Anyway, let's do introductions. New year, same us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host Alexi Baseta, and I'm with Abdul Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you two, Jesse? Yeah, all good. I mean, I haven't watched Chelsea play. Chelsea women play yet this year so that's a bit of a, a strange one um it's making me quite nervous because we had such a like rubbish end to last year that it feels like it's just building the tension um but also you know it's good to like just watch a WSL weekend and enjoy it rather than rather than feeling nervous you know yeah, you probably enjoyed one game in particular. Um, Abdullah, <laughs> how are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. I mean, weird start to the year. I year started, I got COVID, then kind of got out of it. So now I'm waiting. But no, good football kept me entertained for the last two weeks. But yeah, here we are. We're back. We're back. And I'm not in a shitty audio and Wi-Fi situation anymore. So I'm back to the regular mic. Um, but a couple of big headlines to cover probably just the two um obviously not a lot of fixtures have happened so it is an awkward kind of recap of the last two weeks um of the WSL but the first weekend of the WSL um from the holiday break holiday break only saw three fixtures go ahead um and this past weekend only saw four so as Jesse kind of went there Chelsea have yet to play a competitive fixture since December 11th um so over a month now and Chelsea still haven't played and obviously Chelsea Arsenal is coming up in a couple of weeks and can I just say that this happened last year to Arsenal when the entirety of January I think they played one game and they had to play Man City and Chelsea back to back and obviously that did not go well um so I'm just hoping that Chelsea get a taste of their own medicine from last year but anyway that's just me um and we're also going to pretend that Arsenal haven't played this year um, on this podcast, um, Arsenal have yet to play anything. So that's how we're going to go on with this. Um, but on elsewhere in the WSL, Man City have hit the ground running quite impressively. I must say a 6-0 win over Brighton and a 3-0 win over Aston Villa. We'll get into that later, but that's unfortunately, it's a pretty decent start for them. Um, and Manchester United started strong with a 5-0 win over Birmingham City. And Leicester City came up with a big win over Brighton after losing to Reading in the first week, but that win over Brighton is is quite big. And obviously Brighton haven't really had a good start to the season, which is obviously another angle to come out of. Um, not necessarily what you expected from a Hope Powell Brighton, but of course the two biggest headlines will be Arsenal's poor, poor, very poor display in their 2-0 loss to Birmingham City. And of course, Katie Longhurst, last minute equaliser against Ryan Skinner's Tottenham. Let's get into it, shall we? We'll start with the probably biggest headline of Birmingham City to Arsenal nil. I mean, I don't, where do we even begin on all of this? I think we can pretty much say that this is probably the one of the worst Arsenal performances in a long time. And if I'm being honest, I've only watched about 20 minutes of it because I missed it live and I just refused to watch it on recap after I know what happened, but the highlights were already painful enough. But here's a, a good summary. 
Um, Birmingham City finished with 13 attempts on goal with seven on target and Arsenal finished with 11 attempts on goal, just two on target. So that's kind of sums it up quite decently, I suppose. Um, but Arsenal still had 68% possession and completed 475 passes compared to Birmingham's 220. So when you look at that and you look at the personnel, it really shouldn't have gone the way it went down, but it is what it is. Um, Birmingham's first goal came in just the third minute of the match with a brilliant through ball um, catching Arsenal's back line with their feet planted pretty much. I have no idea how that ball got through. Um, and the second goal did have a bit of luck out of it with an Arsenal clearance, but at the same time, Birmingham just, they got through Arsenal's midfield way too easily and got the ball onto the wing, got a cross in, bad clearance from Arsenal and then back of the net just like that. And it was 2-0 at halftime. And Arsenal did not get any better in the second half. So nothing to look forward to there. Jesse, let's hear it. You don't have to talk about Chelsea. All you have to do is just talk about how Arsenal lost. What do you have to say? Yeah, I actually requested we include this game because obviously it wasn't in this weekend's round of fixtures. But I was concerned that because we didn't record last week that Alex might be avoiding talking about this um yeah and i i um can verify that alex didn't watch it she just texted saying is it going as badly as everyone seems to be saying it is and i said yes <laughs> i mean really I, I was getting quite nervous at the end because i was like i i really obviously wanted birmingham to to hold on but yeah it was it was really awful it was one of the worst performances i think i've ever seen arsenal put in there was no ever really felt like a, a sense of jeopardy. I thought um, everything just felt incredibly disjointed. Uh, there was, I think it was poor on a on a tactical level, on a, on a team basis, but I just thought like individually as well, some players had absolute mares, like Beth Mead putting like a couple of like dead balls. Like there was one like free kick on the edge of the area where she just like rolled it to like no one. And it was like in a really dangerous position. And it just, all that stuff kind of summed up how out of joint Arsenal were. <laughs> But take, you know, classic, take nothing away from Birmingham. I thought they played really well. I think looking at um, Birmingham's match against United this week really showed the impact that having Marcus not on the sidelines uh, had for them because they did not look as like organised and up for it this week as, as they did as they did previously. So that's kind of an interesting one to see like what an impact, what like level of impact he's having on the side. Um, for those who don't know, he he's there supporting Darren Carter, but he also manages a men's national league team. Um, so he wasn't at the game this this weekend because he was meant managing his his men's national team. We were called. Geisley, I believe. I don't know if that's how you say it. It's weird. Weird English. One of those weird English face names that no one knows how to say. So, yeah, I just think, you know, for Arsenal, it, it was strange because it felt like, you know, they kind of had a rocky end to the year as well, obviously. You know, the, the Hoffenheim loss, FA Cup, Barcelona. And this just felt like a really, what should have been a really easy start. And and now it's it's not. And obviously they'd got such a benefit from Chelsea losing to Reading, which again, they've now kind of lost, you know, again, everything comes down to this. Well, it doesn't have to come down entirely to it, but this Chelsea Arsenal game becomes a bit of a decider. Whereas before Arsenal had the opportunity to, to lose that and, and still be kind of in control of their own destiny. So yeah, I don't know whether maybe having this week off was actually useful for them to kind of get stuff back together and like figure out what's going on but I I personally can't really figure out like why things have gone so crap so quickly 
there might be an explanation, but it's not for this podcast. Um, but <laughs> save that for gossip, girl. <laughs> yes. Um, but it was, yeah. I mean, it was just disappointing overall. Obviously, you know, there are a couple of players missing. Not even that much. Um, obviously, Leo Williamson, Tobin Heath back in team training, so that's a positive to look forward to from after this match. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was, you know. You still have Beth Mead, Vivian Medima, um, Kim Little, uh, Freedom Manum. You know, you still have all these players that should be able to string out a win or at least get an equalizer when they're 2 0 down. You know, these are players that have the fight in them, have the quality in them to come back from a game like this. Um, but Abdullah, there's no excuse for anything. Um, you know, Jonas Idaval put his hands up, uh, admitted defeat that for some reason the game plan just didn't go accordingly or he didn't get it across right. But what do you think happened here? I don't, don't know. I mean, that's that's the weird part because this Arsenal team has, has just not... It's just, I don't know, it's like like, like Jesse was saying, that, that December period into now, they just haven't been informed. Something is wrong internally over there, I feel, from, from an outside perspective, just because how... I mean, they've lost a few games in a row. So, something's wrong. The team that they had out there is a super, super strong team, but then Beth Mead's form has tanked, um, you know, and, and everyone else doesn't seem to be, you know, I mean, there are players that are coming in, coming out, like Jordan Nobbs is playing. She hasn't played too much this season. Boy Sorensen was in there as well. I mean, again, I think, I think it comes back to a little bit of, I, I put this with a caveat also saying that I know it's Birmingham and I know that they should be beating Birmingham. Arsenal shouldn't have any excuses regardless of what team they put out. But the only defense I can make is, again, the because there hasn't, hasn't been enough rotation in, in the likes of Jordan Nobbs or Boy Sorensen, just as the two that have come in, I can say, okay, fine, maybe there wasn't the rhythm there and there wasn't the um, the chemistry. But overall, I, I don't know. I mean, it just, I mean, uh, it doesn't seem like the tactics are working too much right now. I mean, Google has them listed as a 4-4-2 right now with Kim Little and Minima up top. But even if you switch that into a 4-2-3-1, I don't know. It just there's something there that isn't working, and I can't put my finger on it. But at the same time, I think they they really need to you know figure out what's going on. And maybe these new signings that we're going to get onto, maybe that's the injection of of energy and pace and kind of maybe freshness that that Arsenal need right now. Yeah, and we're going to move on to something a bit more positive for Arsenal on our source perspective. Um, obviously, a big signing in Sina Blackstenius from BK Hacken. And of course, also Austrian international Laura. Let's try not to butcher this. Weinrother. I'm just I'm going for that pronunciation um, from Hoffenheim. And obviously, I tweeted about it as well. But obviously, we know Hoffenheim has created a lot of big stars that have gone on to perform really, really well at even bigger clubs. I mean, I'm not saying Hoffenheim is a small time club because they're really not when you look at the history of them. Um, but for example, just the first one that comes to my mind is Tabia Wasmuth. Um, who's obviously playing for Wolfsburg now and in her first um, Champions League season, she's the league's top goal scorer. So it's players like this that come through Hoffenheim and, and come out to be better on the other side. Um, Jesse, we know you love Hoffenheim. Uh, what do you think of Laura, but also as well as uh, Stina Blackstenius? Yeah, and actually breaking news, Arsenal have just signed that um, Brazilian, announced that Brazilian centre-back. I just say you look very unamused. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Brazilian centre back? Yes, <laughs> I'm not convinced about this side, the centre back signing. I'll be intrigued to see what she's like. It seems risky to me to sign a 30 year old centre back. Yeah, I've been I haven't... played European football before. 
it's definitely I'm not too I don't have that much opinion about it just because I don't really know much about her but I don't really know what signing a 30 year old center back will do for Arsenal purely because the biggest struggle that we have is that we don't have you know when you look at Jen Beattie Vicky Schneiderback, you know, all these players are vastly experienced in you've got like four 30 year old center backs. Precisely. That's crazy. The biggest thing thing that we're missing is pace and kind of ability. When you look at Leah Williamson, you know, she's the one doing the tackles, doing all the the dirty work, let's say that. Um, so we go and sign another experienced center back. Um, I don't really understand the logic behind it. Um, but yeah, Jesse, what do you think of the younger um, yeah, I, 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 I think obviously um, Laura Wienreuter I think is, is a good player um, I think you know she's obviously got experience in Germany experience in the Champions League um, I think she'll be a really like good long term addition to the side and I think she gives Arsenal something different at right back and I know in the past we've kind of talked about um, Noel Maritz and you know how maybe just constantly playing her there is a bit predictable and when you look at the different options Arsenal have on the left hand side of the pitch it's a bit strange that they've not had those same kind of opportunities uh, or or different players that they can bring on on the right hand side and I think yeah I I think she'll be ready to hit the ground running and I think she's a really good addition Um, Stina Blackstenius, again, I think on paper, at least a fantastic signing. It's obviously a bit strange with the, <laughs> the Miedemar problem, I'm going to say. Um, I feel like generally, obviously, the reporting is that Miedemar's not made her mind up yet. Um, and I would be inclined to believe that. She seems like someone who wouldn't really bullshit about that kind of stuff if it wasn't true. Um, but that being said, you have to assume that Blackstenius has been promised significant game time um, because she is, you know, in her mid-20s. She's an incredibly highly rated striker. She had numerous offers from other clubs. So you would assume Arsenal have offered her something. And I just don't see how that is compatible with the long-term future of Miedemar at the club. That being said, if Miedemar is going and Arsenal are pretty sure that's happening, then Blackstinius, I think, could be a perfect solution. I don't think she's Miedemar's level, um, but she's shown that she can be a very reliable goal scorer. She's shown that she can score in against high-quality opposition, um, which, you know, I think her performance is for Sweden, especially at the Olympics, kind of showed that she was ready to take that next step. I think sometimes, you know, we do see when players come from the Scandi leagues. I mean, I know she's had experience in France as well, but they don't always hit the ground running in the WSL. But I think given the quality of international opposition she's played against, I don't see why that wouldn't happen. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting because, you know, I think we've, when Idaval came in, we started seeing Miedemar playing less and that was a bit of a surprise in that in that initial moment. And for me, this move suggests that's only going to continue to happen. And, you know, in some ways, I think that's a good thing for Arsenal. But I do to have that those different options. But I do wonder with Miedema whether she liked that role where a lot of, you know, emphasis was put on her, where she was expected to, to do a lot more for the team. And I, I do wonder, I feel like watching her this season... Um, 
it's not like her goal scoring's like dramatically dropped. She's scored like seven times in 10 games. Like it's not bad at all. She's the second top scorer in the league. Um, but there is a sense that I don't feel like she's the same leader in the team that I think in past seasons I looked to her and saw. And to me, that's a bit like one foot out the door attitude. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how initially this kind of Blackstenius, Miedemar, uh pairing uh, different options works out because we're going to see them together for, for at least six months now. So, Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Obviously, we know that Viv doesn't necessarily like playing with another striker up top. Um, she works well on the front three because she has all the space in the, mid- in the middle. She wouldn't be able to, say, play a 4-4-2, for example. And obviously, I think a lot of people, I think including myself, have been teasing kind of Viv in a 10 role, kind of like a higher, um, a very attacking and high midfielder role that gets to drop in behind the number nine and kind of just play off of them, except instead of, of kind of being higher and being the, the lone striker. But obviously that is a very dramatic change. So I highly doubt that we're going to see that in the WSL anytime soon. Um, but Abdullah, same question. What do you think of these new signings for Arsenal? I mean, without kind of repeating what Jesse said, like I largely agree with everything she said there. I think, I think Blackstenius especially, I think is going to be, um, I think there is a, I don't want to say there's a lack of good strikers, but I think all the good strikers are already taken up at their respective clubs. And I don't think most of them are going to be leaving anytime soon. Blackstenius was one of them. Obviously, Miedema is at the end of her contract. She's probably going to leave. But I think everybody else has their fair share of strikers. So I think Arsenal have done a good job if this is the last six months of Miedema to pick up somebody who, at least in theory, can replace Miedema and score important goals and, and maybe even score goals at an important rate. There's like this... And I'm, and I'm not saying this is her. I could be completely off, but there is there, there is this feeling of like this there's arrogance out of um, out of Blackstenius that I think on the pitch is I mean on the pitch arrogance I think is really good. And I think to be able to to be a, a selfish striker almost and be able to take those chances, I think you need to have that. I don't know. I have a feeling that she has that that that, that mean streak in her. So um, which I think is a good thing for Arsenal because if, when it if it does come down to her having to lead the line and be the consistent number one striker at Arsenal. I think that'll be uh, that'll be important. Um, you know, we've seen her qualities for Hacken and for Sweden, her ability to link up and, and kind of, you know, play around with the players around her. And I think obviously Arsenal has some fantastic players in and around the final third. So I think she'll slot in that way. It'll just kind of, to Jesse's point, how she fits in and how she how quickly she adapts to the league, at least in these first few months. Because if... if, if if they if Arsenal can get her to to get, hit the ground running, then I think they have a they have a good chance of 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 getting um you know getting getting points where maybe they might lose it like for example a Birmingham game like this where maybe she comes off the bench and scores or or something like that. So, uh, and then as for Laura, without butchering the last name, um, I think another good young right back signing. I think it, I think they needed depth in in the fullback areas because of obviously the the Asian Cup and then you know uh, injuries and things like that. So you know, and I think Katie McCabe has looked really really much better as a left winger this season, especially. So if you can free her to go further forward rather than playing left back when needed, um, it, it helps. But I think just having an extra fullback in there uh, just kind of helps the overall depth because it just looked like Arsenal were a little bit light in that position. Yeah, it's fair to say. And last question, 
before um i love not talking about chelsea and just focusing on arsenal um arsenal take on manchester united in the conti cup tomorrow at the kind at the time of recording um on the tuesday but in the wsl they take on man city next um which could be interesting considering the start and end of 2021-2022 for both sides um but let's have some quick predictions sorry jesse what are you saying well, I think a lot of it might ride on the Conti Cup fixture. I feel like if Arsenal come through against United, that will probably give them the confidence to to beat City. I think City look a lot better, but they haven't really proved it against any, a decent side yet. Um, but I think if Arsenal lose to United, which I do wonder if will happen because United just look in, in very good form right now. And I think... The the previous league fixture between the two felt a lot closer than maybe the scoreline made it seem in the end, or definitely there were moments of it where they felt like two very evenly matched sides. Um, I think if Arsenal lose that, then it could be a bit of free fall. And it is going to be interesting because this really is Idaval's first test. And the, the Birmingham City loss is so funny because not funny like haha but like funny interest I mean it is a bit funny haha too uh, but funny interesting because you know for so long we've thought of Arsenal's problem as being they can beat the rubbish sides but they struggle against against the very best and I I just don't know what the reaction of the side is going to be to having lost to literally the worst team in the league because I ha- I have no reference point for that do you know what I mean like it's something Chelsea have done quite a lot over the past couple of seasons you know there's been one kind of rogue loss one slip up you know Reading Brighton draws with Liverpool all of that kind of stuff whereas with Arsenal I just I feel like I really can't judge what their their like reaction is going to be and that's why I think a lot will ride on on this midweek United game yeah I think that's that's pretty fair to say I think also I mean, obviously it didn't show against Birmingham, but I do think that the break came at a good time for Arsenal overall, just to reflect um, and obviously to get players back like Tobin and Leo Williamson, who could potentially actually show up tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I definitely agree with, I don't really know what's going to happen at this given moment, considering what's happened and what's going to happen the next week and the next couple of weeks. Um, So it should be very interesting tomorrow. And I am nervous but Abdullah what do you think about Man City versus Arsenal you know I think I mean again I, I, I I'm it's weird just because Arsenal haven't had the best start City have had a better start because these these were games they were losing in the beginning of the season so the fact that they've won it is is like the first step towards their um their comeback um yeah, I think it largely depends on the United game and 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 you know the um, the confidence to get out of that. You know, another poor performance puts them on the back foot. I don't know, I have a sneaky feeling that maybe 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 City can do it. So if anything, I'd maybe go for a very like sneaky one 0 win to City. But that's again, it's tight. Just depends on the game in midweek. I'm gonna ignore you said that, um, and we're gonna move on <laughs> to the other big headline of the weekend. I think Tottenham won, West Ham won. This was certainly, I actually watched this game, so I'm kind of happy for that. Um, This was certainly an entertaining match to watch overall. I think it was a good back and forth battle for both teams. It wasn't the most exciting overall in terms of kind of 
shots on target and kind of big plays and everything, obviously, until the end. But Spurs got a lead through a uh, Rosella Yana penalty. No hands were used to score this goal. Um, and then in the 56th minute, Hawa Sisoko got her second yellow of the match, which I think was wrong. But it was it, it was just really, really bad. Amy Byrne has such big main character energy. Flo Lloyd yeah. Hughes texted me that like before the game. And then we were <laughs> like, okay, well, look what's happened. Like Amy Fern loves to make there it is, all about herself. Yeah, no, that was not, there was another yellow card that was just, that made absolutely no sense. Um, so a bit unfortunate for West Ham, but at the same time, they played a player down for 35 minutes. And honestly, I didn't really see that big of a difference. Spurs were attacking quite a bit, but at the same time, West Ham were able to get through a Tottenham press and were able to actually get quite a few chances on goal, you know, get corners. And you, I kind of forgot that they were playing with the player down, I think about like 15 minutes in. I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're actually not supposed to be doing everything that they're doing right now. Um, but obviously a dramatic ending as Kate Longhurst lobbed a beautiful, perfect header I made so many weird noises when that went through. I was just so appreciative of that. Um, it went over Becky Spencer, literally dipped one of those that dipped over the keeper's gloves and under the, the crossbar. It was just perfect. Um, and I do have to also appreciate the Brianna's yard third tier. I'm not even going to try to say that again. Um, the cross, she chipped it perfectly. Um, and Kate Longhurst kind of just shoved Shalina's Dorsky out of the way and bent down and just lobbed the, the perfect header. Um, I mean, just, wow, that was that was a really good ending to, to everything. But Jesse, not such a good day for Rianne Skinner. Um, your guy, Oli Carter, seemed to have his team better set up, I think. I would think that you might think the same. Um, let's hear your thoughts. My first thing I want to say is that I loved Oli Harder's trash talking about the pitch before the game and then comparing it to playing on Hackney Marshes, which is just like, obviously, if you live in East London, like that's very standard knowledge. But I was just like really impressed by Oli Harder's East London references. I'm glad to see that he's like fully embedded into East London life. Um, yeah, I, I think... There was some, I thought both team selections had like some strange decisions within them. Um, Spurs didn't start Rachel Williams, who's obviously kind of been their, their top scorer and potentially their, their best player, um, or especially, I guess, since Kit Graham got injured um, and brought her on at half time. And I thought it was interesting that Harder started. Evans kind of further up the pitch. Um, I wasn't really sure if it worked, to be honest. Um, I, I do think I prefer her in that in wing back role. Um, but Kate Longhurst started there as well. Um, but I just think for me, watching watching this game, just you know, I, I like West Ham a lot. And I think this game kind of summed it up why I prefer them to a team like Spurs, because Spurs are, you know, they're very well organized, they know what they're doing, but all of their play kind of ends at the final third. And you could see it a number of times, like Rosella Ryan or Jess Naz would get in, but they've got no ability to make those like final decisions about what comes next. Whereas I think West Ham are a lot more of a creative team. And I was a bit worried about what they would look like without Hasegawa over this Asian cup period, but I felt like they were, there were new sources of, you know, creativity. Like I thought Svitkova had a really good game. Um, it was interesting. Harder spent quite a lot of time like switching Svitkova and Longhurst and Evans kind of around trying to figure out like where the gaps were, um, which also made me like keep blinking at the screen. Cause I was like so confused about why they kept being on different sides. But, um, uh, and Svitkova is a player who I, I often don't feel like I've quite 
figured out her her role in this West Ham team, but I thought she got a lot of joy down down that left hand side. Um, and yeah, I just you know I think Spurs should have really made a lot more of the opportunities they had, specifically the first 25 minutes of the game and the last kind of half hour game after the sending off. Um, West Ham are very good, I think, at the backs to the wall approach, mainly because they always seem to get players sent off. Um, this is Soko's second red card. And I did think, as much as I thought the red card was harsh, um, I wrote about this for the in my offside rule piece, but I was like, ultimately, it was so stupid from Sissoko because you could see from the yellows that Amy Fern had already given out that she... She dug herself a hole, basically, where she was having to give challenges like that. Sissoko had already conceded a penalty and maybe been lucky not to then get a second yellow in conceding the penalty. So to then go a minute later and literally just like barrel into someone in the middle of the pitch, no need to do it, and kick the ball away. I was like, come on, that's like... Not not clever, you know, after she'd gone big with Kate Longhurst telling her how you can't lose to Tottenham, blah, blah, blah. I was like, did you know nothing from Kate's speech? Um, but yeah... Uh, it was a great equaliser and West Ham deserved it because they have given up so many equalisers and losing goals in injury time this season. And I just I just think they're a really good quality team. And if they can cut out the stupid stuff, the late concessions, the silly red cards, I, I do think there's a lot more quality in that squad than in, in lo- compared to lots of the teams around them in the league. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I was also confused. Um, I think at one point, Lisa Evans was like the lone top striker and I was like what is what is happening right now I have no idea like I just couldn't keep track of anything um but yeah we we talk about it quite a bit here about Spurs in terms of kind of the personnel that they're lacking compared to to other teams I mean when you look at here you know you have West Ham who have a player like Lisa Evans for example or Kate Longhurst who can kind of pull these things off but then you have Rosella Yane who scored a penalty and then hadn't scored before that in kind of a stupid amount of time and she's your central striker and um, so not kind of the the best scoring record at the moment but Abdullah how much does it say about the lack of players that Tottenham have? Yeah I think um, you know squad depth is always um there's always an issue with most of these teams. And I think when, you know, you're at the level of, you know, you're, you know, on the mid table, it's, it's very, very difficult to go and find players who a will want to come, but, and who also have the quality to either give you, make you better or, um, just sort of give you that 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 power of the bench, and it's a, it's a hit and miss. A lot of the times, you know, we've seen players like you know Hasegawa for West Ham who've come in and just really hit the ground running and really really made an impact. Then on the other hand, you've seen people like Alex Morgan who comes in for like a game, and then like last season for Spurs, and then you know two three games, and then kind of just goes back and actually did pretty much nothing. So um, I think it's a it's a tough balancing act, and um, you know it's it's one that uh, it's it's one that I think they have to do, and I think you know I think Spurs maybe might be busy in this in this window getting in a couple of players because I mean they've made a good start to the season overall um so if they can you know, pick up one or two decent signings in in the window then keep that momentum going and and, and get as high as possible and kind of build off that but I think um the overall job brand Skinner has done I think is, has been decent in this game I think West Ham obviously deserved that that equalizer but overall I think it was yeah as a there's an issue oh I think across the across the league except for the top teams I think the rest of the league yeah there's an issue it's got that's fair to say and Jesse you spoke there about kind of this West Ham side and what you think of it and kind of the strengths and personal everything but they face Everton next who I think have been kind of having that same problem of really good personnel just not being able to get across a lot of decent things um, and 
I think West Ham probably have a bit more room to grow, uh, whereas Everton are probably expected to do a lot better than they are at the moment. Um, but what do you? How do you see this match going? Yeah, I think Everton have players who seem better because they've got higher international profiles. I think than lots of the West Ham players have, but definitely I think the way Oli Harder's brought in players and gelled them together is, is totally different to what we've seen at Everton. And I think it's also been interesting how West Ham have kind of, you know, Hard has kind of had three windows now, right? January, summer, and this January. And, and they've really worked to kind of bring in two or three players, you know, each time. Like Emma Snella, I'm really excited to see her play more in WSL. She didn't have um, an amazing game to, to kick off with, but I think it was it was quite a hard one to go into. Um, whereas Everton have then gone and done these big, almost bulk orders of footballers, which is just always so much harder because you don't get the opportunity to to bed these players in and then see, okay, well, what, you know, what do we look for and what do we need next? And even with the uh, Schnurler signing, Hasegawa being away for the month gives her, Schnurler, some time to like have an opportunity in the team and for Oli Harder to kind of assess her suitability for the WSL before then that competition for players, uh, places comes back. And I just think all of that is something about West Ham set up that I found really impressive. Um, my my worry, my problem with West Ham is you just can't rely on them. So in this West Ham Everton game, I like I just wouldn't want to back West Ham still because I think they just have, especially defensively, like lots of players who can have those kind of lapses. Obviously, they'll be without Sissoko anyway. Be interesting to maybe see Lucy Parker get a bit more game time. I do think her and Grace Fisk could be the players maybe to grow into those roles to kind of take over from Jilly Flatty. Um, West Ham, you would think having... I mean, one, will this game even go ahead? Because obviously... Right, so Jesse's Wi-Fi is shit and they were segment sentence, so we're going to move on now. Um, Abdullah, same question goes to you. West Ham versus Everton, what do you see is... What do you think is going to happen? I kind of, I kind of agree with Jesse there where, you know, where, you know, they said that West Ham, I think is a very iffy team. We've seen them come up with some amazing results one week and then the next week they just completely tank it. And then they just have like a very, very like unexpected bad result. So, which is the point where now is every time you see West Ham get a result where you think it's a positive, then there's a result where you come back and you see, Oh, you know, you should be, you know, you you should be competing here. And then suddenly like, no, it's just a complete, and it's a complete downside. Uh, and then, but then on the other side, Everton or Everton, they've just been so, you know, full of new players that just haven't gelled yet. And, and not to mention um, whether JL, you know, Jean-Luc Vasseur has figured out his best system yet. Has he figured out his best 11 yet? We, you know, those are questions I still think that needs to be answered. Not to mention, it, there could be new players coming in between now and the game because there is there was he was he was hinting at the fact that he was going to bring some players in from France. So that whole thing about adjusting and settling comes in again. So you know what I, I would even think that the most the most fairest and obvious thing based on the complete inconsistencies of the two teams could just be a nil-nil draw. But then at the same time, because it also depends are the two attacks you know, consistent and 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 clinical enough to be able to score. While the defenses aren't great right now, I would still think that they defend better than attack. So I, I, I think it's just going to be a draw. Could just be a poor draw because I don't even know what to expect from these two teams anymore. So Jesse, we've established that your Wi-Fi is shit on this podcast now. Um, yes. <laughs> do you want to just say quickly? So you think that West Ham is inconsistent enough that Everton might just edge it because of a West Ham downfall? 
I think West Ham will win or it will be a draw. I don't see Everton winning. There we go. Short and sweet. Fair enough. Um, moving on to the other Skinner of the WSL. A uh, good start for Manchester United. Uh, 5-0 win over Birmingham City. Um, something that Arsenal couldn't do. Um, Katie Zellum, Leo Galton and Alessio Russo all gone on the score sheet. Um, I think when you see those names on the score sheet, I think as a Man United fan, you should probably be happy with that. And next Next up in the WSL is the Skinner WSL Derby, which should be fun to talk about on this podcast, given how much we absolutely love both managers um, and everything that they do and have done in the past. Um, but Jesse, obviously a good one, a good start to the season for for Man United, even if it was against bottom of the table, Birmingham City. Um, obviously, Birmingham have proved that they can be an okay side against top opposition in the last two weeks. Um, what do you think of this United win? And did you see anything change, maybe giving them a fresh start to the year? I think the key with all of United's kind of turnaround feels like it's been Bilderberg Risa and, and her inclusion in midfield. I think that's made, made a massive difference. Those kind of later runs coming into the box have been really effective. I mean, I think it's something we, we kind of saw Ella Toon doing at bits in the season, but it feels like... Um, just being able to create overloads in that way is really suiting United right now. I mean, they've kind of got the Man City caveat as well of they've not been playing great teams, but they have been winning incredibly comprehensively. And and as you say, Alex, you know, we, we saw the Birmingham can defend well. Um, and, you know, United haven't always looked great at breaking down the, those teams, but they looked, United just looked I mean, it was really funny. I was like, because um, Chelsea men were playing Man City uh, half an hour after this game started. And I was like, oh, it'd be really nice if this is like all wrapped up within half an hour. And Man United very much obliged for me on that front. But they just totally over- overran Birmingham. It felt like Birmingham's line seemed very high. It was really, really easy for players to to get in behind um, and to kind of make these cutbacks, uh, which which everyone was just constantly scoring from. Um, it, it would be really interesting to see. I feel like these wins against the lower teams will give United a lot of confidence as they go into, into these games. Um, I think the Arsenal midweek, I think Spurs will be a lot of fun as well because I think United can reasonably feel hard done by um, by the the previous match when Rhea Percival kind of floated that strange free kick over the top of Mary Earps to equalise right at the end. Um, so, yeah, I I definitely think the the Vilderboa-Risa effect is, is very much real and it will just be interesting to see how it holds up against um, maybe, I think, you know, more competitive midfields. I think lots of these lower sides, they often really rely on their defence. They don't necessarily have... Uh, like high quality midfield players who who will force other midfields to, to be pinned back. I think we see it a lot when when Chelsea play these kinds of sides too because they have like like such good attacking midfield players. Um, and you know ultimately those overloads become too much for for lesser defenses. But I think it'll be really fascinating to see what it looks like against a team like Arsenal, who I'm going to say have a good midfield, good midfield, and maybe a worse defense. So <laughs> I think that's fair to say, to be honest. Um, and obviously for Man United, uh, Shaka Grunin is slowly coming back after injury. So that's going to be really interesting how she kind of slots into this midfield who have been quite decent, especially with Willa Boyeris, uh, as you mentioned, Jesse. But Abdullah, you know, you were going on Twitter of this game um, saying quite a few things, but do you want to expand just a bit more on that? 
As I was admitted, I was saying good things, not bad things about United. So just before anybody insinuates anything, but no, I was basically, uh, I was kind of happy with it. I think uh, I agree with Jesse that Vil de Boarisa, as I've heard this morning's pronunciation of a certain other podcast episode has come out. But um, uh, I think, I think, I think that's been a huge, huge uh, change for the side. And I think we've talked about it in the past where, uh, you know, and I've also said that I think the structure of the side has to come from the midfield and, and getting that, that, that right will then probably solve the rest of the problems and it looks like it has just getting this one player in with those late runs into the box I think has helped and also I think for me one of the things that I was tweeting out was I really like Lesia Russo as a central striker mainly because she is a really good presence up there but also her ability to work the channels and kind of hold up defenders and allow Anela Toon and Boa Risa to kind of make those late runs and allow them the space to kind of run in so I think for me that's where that combination works well yes I know we've seen a play on the right as well but again I prefer essentially just for the fact of she she kind of takes up one or two defenders and being able to work the channels and, and be that mobile and can can you know, kind of pull players over there. Um, I think it just creates a ton of space for Nella Toon and, and a Borisa to kind of go in and, and take those loose balls and uh second and third third balls and, and win them. So I think for me that's kind of what I was trying to trying to say. And I think that was one of the main reasons that they did win. And I think if they can continue building up on this sort of system and, and with these set of players in this system, I think they can get back to the uh to the levels they were under Casey Stoney and, and start becoming that force to be reckoned with against the top, top sides. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we'll go into quick predictions. Uh, Man United versus Spurs. Jesse, who's winning? United. Abdullah? United. Okay, I think that's fair. Goodbye, Ryan Skinner. Another big win of the weekend was Leicester City 1, Brighton nil. Um, obviously Brighton off to not the greatest start in the new year, which is disappointing to see, but a big, big win uh, for Leicester City. Jesse, we know you love Leicester City and you always want to see them do well, um, but they're out of the bottom and Birmingham now at the bottom. Uh, what did you think? Is it sustainable? Is it a good win? Was it just a random win? What are your thoughts? I think I've got to support Birmingham now since they uh, beat Arsenal and back them to stay up. But um, yeah, I thought I thought Leicester looked good. Um, I think, you know, I think Lydia Bedford's obviously come in and put together two wins, which which looks very good for her. But I think, you know, honestly, lots of the like groundwork was in place from from Jonathan Morgan's team. Um, the addition of Freya Gregory looks like a really, really good deal for them. I thought she looked really good um, in this match. Just being able to ping really accurate balls over the top for, for Sigsworth to, to run onto. But honestly, I thought Brighton were woeful. Um, they had uh, their new son in Kuhlberg playing at left back and Sigsworth kind of had her on toast. Um, if Sigsworth had been able to actually score rather than just run, like this could have been a lot worse. And concern for Bryson is just everyone was so static like I mean you see it especially on the goal obviously like Shannon O'Brien's just standing in like acres of space in the box and no one's looking at her as as Sixworth makes the cut back um but there were other occasions as well where you know balls are kind of coming in and and they're just like allowing Leicester players to get onto them not closing them down um as like balls go back out to the edge of the box and all of that was kind of strange to watch because it's just not what you expect from a Hope Powell team at all um, so, yeah, I think Brighton need a bit of a reset and I think they kind of handed Leicester this one. Um, it's really exciting, though. I think both this Leicester and Birmingham wins kind of shown that. And I think we knew that, you know, like especially Leicester, there's more than enough quality in this team to beat 
these kind of sides in the bottom half of the table. And I think it's good for the WSL generally to, to see these results happen and, and have a bit more of a exciting relegation battle. Um, you know, I, I tweeted it, but I think Aston Villa should feel a bit nervous as well because I don't, you know, they strung together some good results early on, but they've looked absolutely awful um, pretty much since the first like four weeks of the season. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see as kind of Lydia Bedford Bedford's in um, <laughs> how much like Lester like change. Cause I feel like I still don't really have a great sense of what she's doing differently to, to Morgan, but it will be interesting because if, if Bedford does well, you know, obviously Rahan Skinner is kind of a good uh, example of like what can happen to, to a manager who like doesn't seem to have much experience, but, but comes in and, and can make a difference. So, um, yeah, I, I'll be looking forward to see what Bedford does next. Should be interesting. And lastly, um, Brighton lost against Man City 5-0. Uh, that was the other big loss that they had. And Man City beat Aston Villa 3-0. Um, so, obviously, 8-0 uh, aggregate went over two games for Man City. Um, Vicky Lozada did score a really good goal, so that's that's one positive that I will admittedly say from, from two City wins. Um, but Abdullah... What do you think City need to do to keep up this momentum? Because obviously it is against, quote unquote, easier sides, um, not necessarily, but it's big wins. Do you think it was just a good start, a fluke start, or do you think they can keep it up for kind of the second half of the season? I think, um, you know, we, we touched on it earlier. I think the game against Arsenal will tell us all we need to know for City for the rest of the season. I think it's a good start that they had these convincing wins against Brighton and, and Aston Villa, um, mainly because they were struggling in these games in the first half of the season. You know, they just weren't playing well. And I think across the two games, I think they started to play a lot better football in general. Players are scoring. They look a lot more, you know, uh, look a lot more free-flowing. Players are coming back from the injury. So I think the break that we talked about, you know, at the end of 2020, one has done them a lot of good um i think they just need to keep their players fit because as long as they can keep their players fit their best players should be able to see them through for the rest of the season and keep them in a respectable position um steph horton's back lucy bronze is back um georgia stanwich scored a couple of goals vicky losada as as you know scoring goals again i think i i actually think she's probably going to be that one player that i'll pick out to say that i think if she starts playing more regularly in the second half of the season she'll bring calmness and something different to that midfield uh three uh and i think that is probably going to be something that's needed and I think the six months of adapting to the league has probably done her a world of good so I think she's ready for that second half of the season so I think will be a, a big player but I think now that he's got these you know Gareth Taylor's got these players back fit he needs to keep them fit and he just needs to make them uh, you know just keep the momentum going by playing the players that are in form and playing and, and just kind of having a plan B as we talked a lot about having a plan B and if he can have that plan B and fantastic and 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 utilize the strengths of the players that he has and you know just kind of take it from there and jesse what are your thoughts on on man city yeah i mean we're yet to see them really challenged right and i think there are still concerns around what they do when their number one option which is give the ball to lauren hemp which gareth taylor basically confirmed by just yelling it at his team during games um when better teams can nullify that we've you know we've seen teams stop lauren hemp very well um you know chelsea have done it effectively arsenal done it effectively and if that's your only option i don't know what man city do next i think um 
what will be interesting for City, and again, something I don't know whether Taylor is going to be able to figure out, is it feels like at the moment all the players who are on the ascendancy are midfielders. And for him, I think finding that balance in midfield could be really important. Um, obviously, Kira Walsh is kind of nailed on, but uh, yeah, Lasada's looked really good. Um, I think Georgia Stanway has been like the driving force behind City looking really good, again, playing in that number eight role. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see him try and figure out that out. My my feeling with Gareth Taylor with all of these big games is it's always more luck than judgment. I can see them getting results against Arsenal or Chelsea or United. Um, none of that would necessarily surprise me, but it would just be the result of the quality of the players they've got, I think, rather than some master plan. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. And that's kind of the one thing that I really don't like about Gareth Taylor is the fact that he gets results and I think it is all down to the quality players that there that there is and the quality players that not only the quality of them, but the fact that they've been, a lot of them have been playing together for a really, really long time and have been able to establish themselves in this team and establish with each other um, kind of how they want to play, the style they want to play. And they're able to get these points because they're just that good um, collectively and individually. Um, so I do agree with, with that point quite a lot, um, which is, really annoying sometimes especially when it comes against your team um but we'll end on that and next week should definitely be interesting after a few matches and hopefully Chelsea um get to play and, and get to lose <clears throat> but that's everything from us uh from this WSL episode uh keep up to date with our all our latest episodes and all information on the podcast at box box WSL on twitter and also a big thank you to everyone because we did reach 100 a hundred, not a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. No. Uh, wow, that thousand. would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was a one big day. jump. <laughs> Speak into existence. One thousand <laughs> followers on Twitter uh, is the first milestone. So let's let's start with that. <laughs> Only a hundred uh, more thousands to go. Ninety-nine more thousands to go. Nine, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a big thank you. I always always appreciate it. And obviously, New Year. Um, same us. I'm going to say that again because it's it's still very true. Um, and if you listen on a platform where you can leave a review, um, that's always appreciated. And yes, thank you again and see you everyone. Bye-bye. See you later.